Welcome back to our Diplomacy, your trusted podcast on international relations and geopolitics. My name is Fabio Almada, and uh, yep, I think today's episode will be really, really insightful. I think this is a phenomenon that touches every country in the world. So, yep, really looking forward for today. Today's episode will focus on the far right and the recent rise of culture wars. But before we get into the most recent developments, let's get into history to have some context here. So after the end of the Second World War, we said never again and pledged to adhere to human rights and the equality of mankind. Fascist, far-right ideology were allegedly defeated, but the remnants of this ideology have found their way back into Western and global politics, threatening to undermine the identity of the liberal Western order. This is visible today, not only when we consider the recent success of far-right parties in the West and beyond, but also when we look at rhetorics and policy, provisions surrounding equality and human rights, which we have taken for granted, are contested political issues again. Among the victims of this far-right rise are members of the LGBTIQ community that have seen both growing acceptance and exclusion in recent years, depending on factors like geography and ruling parties, is one of many clashes between the new right and mainstream politics, and we use the term culture wars to refer to this development as we are witnessing a conflict between social groups and the struggle for dominance of their values, beliefs and practices. And today we would like to address this crisis of liberalism. And for today's episode, we've invited Yannick Shetty. He's a member of the Austrian parliament since 2019. He works on youth politics, migrant integration and LGBTIQ plus rights. He's one of the youngest members of parliament of Austria, and he has a lot of reach with more than 50,000 followers and more than 1.5 million likes on TikTok alone. So welcome, Yannick, uh, to our diplomacy. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the to the, to the to the next hour. I don't know how long it actually will take, but discussing the, the very important um, issues uh, you have already raised. Thank you, Yannick. And uh, today's episode will be structured into three blocks. So at first, we will take a look at Europe and analyze the role of the far right on the continent, consider how it has impacted the rights of LGBTIQ communities. Then in the second block, we will examine the far right in the United States and analyze the consequences of the US-American culture war that is currently being waged and how it affects uh, minorities in the US. And in the third chapter, we will take a brief look at the influence of religious organizations and how they influence foreign policy, especially African politics, such as Uganda, where homosexuals are threatened with death penalties. Well, guys, uh, we're going to start with this first blog, and I think we're going to focus a little bit more on European politics. And it's it's not no mystery that far right political parties have played a, a backstage role uh, in the in the in the past. Uh, but until 2015, when the so-called migration crisis hit Europe, it allowed many populist parties to gain a lot of momentum and fuel their campaigns with a lot of nationalism, with anger, and that sense of loss of control of the trajectory of, of uh, each of the country's culture, right? So we see a lot of success in the far-right in countries such as, as Poland, 
in Brexit as well, with the election of, of populist right governments as well in, in Austria, in Italy and uh, Hungary as well, with their election of Orban in 2018. So there can be many uh, ways and many reasons for this. Uh, maybe the economic crisis 2019 really angered and, and antagonized uh, the industrial working class, which used to be traditionally supporting classic left-wing parties. So, uh, Yannick, I would like to ask you a little bit of this. How do you think this far-right populism and discourse is affecting uh, politics here in the continent? Yeah, un unfortunately, um, to to a large amount. So, um, like speaking of Orban, for example, and, and having a view on Hungary, they always need someone to blame for the problems they have in their countries, right? So, um, first it was um, Soros, the philanthropists, so the Jews. Then it was um, the migrants um, after the 2015 um, migrant crisis, and now nowadays um, in the in the past two to three years is the LGBTIQ, LGBTIQ um, community, and um, they're doing this um, learning from the U.S., learning from Trump and um, the, the the influences, the far right influences there. So we have in Europe the development always uh, two to three years um, after the United States, and uh, this is very unfortunate. And we see this not only in Hungary, we also see it in Italy, we see it in Austria, in Germany, where far right parties are copy pasting what is um, successful in countries such as Poland, such as uh, Hungary. Yeah, in the LGBTIQ community, we see we see the first time in Austria um, in the past decades that there is the first time a rise in hate crimes against the LGBTIQ people, uh, parts of the community. And yeah, this is um, um, this is concerning me very much. And you have also recently thematized on your social media channels that uh, in Poland there are so-called LGBTQ free zones. So could you please maybe elaborate on that development? Yeah, I mean, this is really crazy, right? Because the European Union um, was always uh, meant to be uh, a freedom zone, a zone where um, um, a union where um, the dignity of each human, human being is um, holy, right? And it is really crazy to see that the Polish government, or not the Polish government, but specific regions in Poland, they, they were creating so-called LGBT-free zones. So zones where there is no but there are no LGBT people, which is of course uh, bullshit because we all know it's not a it's not a matter of politics if you're LGBTIQ, so if you're gay or lesbian or transgender. So there are all everywhere in the world there is the same amount of LGBT people. Maybe in cities or in in urban regions you have a higher density because people move, move there because it's more liberal. But of course this is not an issue of uh, politicians to say. We are an LGBT-free zone, and of course, this for the for the for the people of the community living in these regions, this is a terrible issue because uh, the far-right groups and um, extremist parts in society they were entitled by these LGBT-free zones to do um, hate crimes, to to be offensive against people, and um, yeah, this is a really bad development. But it's nice to see that in the meantime, in some of these regions in Poland. Um, progressive parties um, came to po power and removed the ruling peace party and these LGBT free zones were again removed. And I think that's a really um, a good development in some parts of Poland. And in addition to that, I think it's very important that the um, um, commission and also the parliament um, has a very clear opinion on this. And yeah, um, at the moment, um, not speaking of Poland, but regarding um, Hungary, there is a you say, uh, I don't know the English term right now, but there is a prosecution of uh, 
of, of the Hungarian government uh, because of their policies amongst uh, minorities. In Austria, of course, we have a conservative party and we have a um, strong influence of the Catholic Church, and they were blocking a lot of progression in the last years and decades. But um, in the end, we had progress over the last years, right? So um, year for year, it got better. And for the first time, we, um, as already mentioned, we see a um, rise um, in uh, hate crimes. And the first time this year and beginning last year, maybe slightly, we have with our far right party, the, the Freedom Party, um, a relevant, a major political party offensively campaigning against the LGBTIQ community. In the end, it's very simple. As uh, I'm also already mentioned, um, a few folks of the, of the Freedom Party, they went to the US, they visited their uh, think tank, um, they posted it on Facebook so everybody can, can read about it. I think it was uh, one or two months ago. And they learned there, hey, if you connect anti-trans policies with um, the protection of child, of kids, then it will work. And this is actually what they are doing now, um, up and down. They, um, they have uh, protests, they do campaigns against the uh, uh, transgender um, um, issues. I'm not really sure if it works for them from a strategical point of view, but they're doing it now really hardcore. And this is very new for Austrian politics because of course we had issues about uh, gay marriage, marriage and adoption rights and so on. But uh, it was not such a polarized issue, and the Freedom Party made it to such an issue with their campaigns. In Austria, there are also things that you are dealing with in, in the parliament. You have mentioned in the past months is the issue of conversion therapies. So what is this and why is this not banned yet? The conversion therapy is actually, yeah, if I talk to, to guys in my age, they actually don't believe it's still legal in Austria. So these are institutions, individuals, uh, therapists, medical, um, actually wouldn't call them professionists, but um, actually they are. And they are trying to convince parents, um, teenagers, that uh, their sexual orientation can be cured so that they can change it uh, um, from their homosexual um, orientation to a heterosexual orientation. And of course, uh, we know, I don't have to elaborate it, uh, this is not possible and uh, this does not work. And um, is for the individuals going through these uh, conversion therapies, uh, awful experience. I personally also met um, a couple of guys um, who was in this uh, therapies like um, 10, 20 years ago, and it's still legal in Austria. And we advocate for um, a ban of these conversion uh, therapies because we think it shouldn't be legal that young people um, have to go through these, um, these uh, methods. I'm not that familiarized with Austrian politics. So all my knowledge from Austria comes from, from Euromis, the trip that we made together last summer. And to me, this sounds really particular. Like I just didn't, I was not aware of all of this. And I know that uh, Yannick uh, Aramis was telling me that you've done a lot of, of work these past uh, years to push for positive uh, laws and, and processes such as uh, allowing uh, homosexuals to do donate blood and the things you just said, uh, you just said discussing uh, conversion therapy. So, I mean, it's to me originally coming from Latin America, more traditional, more Catholic uh, place. It, it just it sounds sometimes different that in Europe things are like that. But I, I'm, it's amazing to see young people up there in political places, in parliaments, pushing for this agenda. So that must be really interesting. And I don't know if you have any uh, like personal story. How how does it how is it for a young professional to be up there trying to change this 
traditional viewpoints uh, in those level of government? Um, that's a good. That's a good question, and uh, actually, it's it's often frustrating, right? Because um, the reality of me, of you, of our generation is a completely different one compared to these guys sitting in parliament for the last uh, 20, 30 years. I mean, there are parliamentarians, um, colleagues of mine in the Austrian National Council. They are longer in parliament than I am alive. And of course, they have a very different mindset and a very different view on things, on realities of young people or also of realities of the LGBT community. So when they came into their position, there was uh, actually LGBT wasn't even um, an acronym known in politics. It wasn't. A, it was. It was non-issue, right? And now, of course, the minor, different minorities they advocate for their rights, for their human rights, and this is often very frustrating for me, for other um, young colleagues, because we have the feeling that they don't even understand what we are talking about. It's such a different uh, reality they are living in. Um, and uh, actually, yeah, I, I would say it's often frustrating, but we still keep on pushing. And um, from now on, then there's also a possibility to, to, to make a change. You, you, you mentioned the ban for homosexuals, for actually for homo and bisexual men donating blood, which is, um, yeah, which is just not evidence-based. We were pushing this agenda um, for, for, for two or three years. And, uh, and finally, this uh, ban was removed. And it's now a matter of your, of your individual uh, sexual behavior. So if you have a lots of different uh, um, sexual partners, then you are uh, banned from donating blood, which is logical and makes sense. And it's not an issue of your sexual, um, sexual orientation. I think that's good. So it is from now on then possible to make a change, but often it's really frustrating. So oftentimes these matters of protecting minorities are not something that is um, where process is uh, getting forward because of political decisions, but due to uh, judicial developments, because actually we have a constitution that everyone is supposed to be equal. And uh, if, if the politics do not uh, live up to that, um, then this will be adapted, of course. Um, so what were the recent developments in, in Europe and in Austria in, in this regard? Yeah, I, I actually think it's a very problematic development. Nevertheless, I'm happy that the Austrian Constitutional Court ruled that the, the ban of um, same-sex couples from the marriage is um, against the constitution. I'm of course happy about that because this opened the marriage for all. Um, but I'm not really happy about the development that um, constitutional courts are making these decisions because it is the it is the responsibility of the legislators to do these decisions. In, in fact, these are political decisions, and these decisions should be made by the legislators, by the elected representatives and not by courts. Because I, I strongly believe that you can gain more acceptance in the society if who are elected to make the decisions um, also then make the decisions and not other institutions, often and often for the, for the, for the society, for the uh, for a lecturer, it's not that transparent how these decisions are made. On the other hand, we also have then countries such as Hungary, such as Poland, where the constitutional courts are, are appointed politically. Um, I think um, you might have covered this already in your podcast or talked about this, but this is also a huge problem. So I think it is not only a good development that these uh, decisions are shifted away from politics to the constitutional courts. Yeah, and then Austria... 
the recent developments, actually, we don't have a lot of recent developments in LGBT issues because on the um, legislative level, there is almost no discrimination left. Of course, we have the, still the, we need a new law for banning conversion therapies, but from the existing laws um, and the existing legislation, there is not much discrimination left because the constitutional courts removed in the past years almost um, almost um, every single uh, discrimination in the laws. What is needed in Austria is um, is uh, campaigns in the in the police in the educational system against hate crime. So it's not on a legislational level, but on a campaigning level, if you want to say so. And this is what we are advocating for. that the, the future of political development sometimes, as, as Yarmi said, comes from uh, across the Atlantic. So maybe in this second block, we can uh, talk a little bit, discuss about how uh, things are going over there. And uh, Armi, so why don't you let us know a little bit about the culture war element there in the States? So as we know, the, the culture war in the US, uh, concepts like wokeism suddenly dominate uh, the, the public discourses and the far right claims that they need to stop liberal ideologies that allegedly gotten out of hand. And um, very recently, the far right has decided to go against the LGBTQ plus community specifically. And um, our colleague Andrew Garfrock from the podcast America Explained the, the reason for this, for such developments that suddenly you have this uh, policy shift. I think that like, one thing that often seems to me is that the right wing in America, kind of a conservative media complex, has fantastic message discipline. Like they pick a topic that they are going to make the topic of the month or of the year, and then they just all turn their attention to doing that. And I mean, we saw that with critical race theory, which is, you know, was for a year or so kind of the designated bogeyman. And then we've seen this relentless focus on, on trans issues. And I really do think that right now we're living through one of the most intense anti-LGBT episodes in American history. Well, Armis, I think that is a really interesting audio. And I think it really reflects uh, these trends that we've seen in the U.S. And not just about, um, I mean, sure, uh, LGBTQ plus community, we've seen how it's not just about the rhetorics. I, I would say the legal rights of many members of the community have been heavily restricted in some states. The rhetoric is there. And the, the legislation attacks are there as well. We've seen the abortion rights are being restricted as well. So, uh, Yannick, I would like to ask you about it. How do you see the situation in the States regarding these liberties and this uh, restriction of freedoms? I think the debate in the U.S. and also in, in, in parts of the United Kingdom has gotten really crazy. Elections are decided over topics such as trans rights or women's rights, such as abortion gay rights. Not that I, I mean, I'm spokesperson for LGBT issues. So I think it's very important, but it's concerning a very small minority of the society or very small, a small minority of the society. And these are the issues most relevant in elections, not inflation, not like global issues. It is so crazy that the, that the major debate is on such minority issues. And uh, I strongly believe that it's also has to do with the LGBT community and the progression and the movement on the one side, because I strongly believe in, in such a polarized world we are living in, every movement, every strong and, um, and, uh, and, 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 and relevant movement in the media 
is um, creating a content movement. And you can see this in the US. And I think it is very disturbing to see how the debate in the US and in the United Kingdom um, in, is at the moment, because it's not about like the major issues across society um, for, for, for the whole society relevant. It's very specific minority issues. It is very easy to debate on these issues. Of course, debating on inflation uh, or in macroeconomics is far harder than having an opinion on um, abortion or on gay rights. Very easy to understand, right? I think there's also an, a reason why it became so relevant in the in the in the media and in the general election. And if you also see like the the, the video, the clip uh, Joe Biden released a couple of uh, a couple of days ago, launching his uh, candidacy um, and uh, for, for for his re-election, it is mostly about these super polarized issues. I, I think this is very disturbing because it will it will create even more polarization um, in the society. And I really don't want to have this in Austria. I want to discuss about LGBT issues. Of, co of course, I want to discuss them. I think it's important to discuss about minority issues. But is it, should it be the number one issue discussing in a presidential election from the one and from the other side? I don't think so. That's why I really hope that we won't have the same development in Austria and in Europe. But as you and as I also already mentioned before, um, Europe is always two to three, four years behind the US and I really fear this, fear this discussion because I think it will, it will tear our society even more apart. In this, in this context, uh, a really decisive factor or something that could turn out to be a really decisive factor are young people because what we have seen during the US midterm elections is that a lot of young people were mobilized because they saw the radicalization of the Republican party in the US and then Swaths of them voted in favor of the Democrats and the Republicans had to turn back their policy, go down with their tone. And now when it comes to abortion, it's not as radical as it used to be before the midterm elections because they have seen these developments and reacted to them. So perhaps again, during these presidential elections, we see that um, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, they fully try to exploit those issues, maybe it will turn out that uh, they will fail again and then we don't see such developments in Europe. But on the other hand, this election is of course very decisive. If DeSantis or Trump wins, then um, it may have serious implications for Europe. So if this was the case and if we see that this culture wave is affecting Europe again, Yannick, um, what can the LGBTQ community do to defend itself? Yeah, that's a very difficult question because, of course, we we shouldn't we shouldn't stop advocating for our for our rights, right? So these are human rights we are talking about. Um, on the other side, as I already mentioned before, if we get louder and if we react to this um, the statements, these campaigns coming from the far right, it is kind of creating a vicious circle. So it's a it's a dilemma kind of because if we are not talking about it, we are giving all the stage to the far right. And if we're talking about it, if we um, um, arguing with them, this vicious circle is continuing. But I still believe we have to, I strongly believe actually, we have to answer this question. Uh, we, we can't like, give, a, give an easy answer to this question. How should we react? How should we, um, how should we answer this, uh, this, uh, this questions raised? It has always to depend on the specific issue. I give you a concrete example in Vienna. The far right party, uh, the Freedom Party, is campaigning against drag readings to kids. 
So this is really a micro issue. I mean, how many drag queens are there? This is only drag is actually not a, an issue for the LGBTIQ community because it's a it's a it's it's more of acting, right? It's not about sexual orientation or um, or gender identity. It is it is show. It is entertainment. Okay, but they try to connect drag with sexual orientation and with um, gender identity, and they started a campaign that the city, that the, the mayor of Vienna should ban readings to children by drag queens. So this is, I think there are two or three events. It's, it's such a micro, micro topic. And concerning this campaign, I think it would be the best for us as community just ignoring it. Because making, they are trying to making an issue, they are trying to to um, to get this polarization, to get this debate, and they they were successful because it was a non-issue, and they made it to an issue. So I think we should we should um, answer this question depending on the issue raised, and if it's about human rights, if it's about really fundamental issues, then of course we have um, we always have to defend um, our rights, and we always have to be careful that there is not a backlash. But we have also to be careful. Um, what they are talking about, and sometimes it is exactly what they want, that we are reacting um, aggressive as they do, because then they have the platform they, 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 um, they need. Absolutely, and it's so fascinating that um, this scheme of the far right is still working so well, even though we all know it. At first, they claim something, they create arousement, they have some scandal, everyone talks about it, and then they tune their tone down, they say, okay, yeah, we didn't mean it that way. But in the end, everyone's discussing about their issues. They bring their exactly. stuff on the agenda. And it's hard to, to cope with that, um, even though, as I said, the agenda is very clear. Honestly, uh, I think so far this has been such an in, in, insightful conversation. Honestly, I, I did my, my research on that, but Yannick, you made me think a, a, about a couple of things that were honestly not in my mind, and I'm sure the listeners will be really thankful. Uh, so yeah, like I think Armis and I will go more into detail in this third block when we'll talk about, about the elephant in the room, which is the influence of religion in politics. But so far, thank you so much for your insight into Austrian politics, European politics, and all this uh, fight for... LGBTQ, the community, their rights, and and the fight the fight against the the far right. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much, Yannick. Uh, thank you for taking your time. We highly appreciate it, and uh, we wish you the best of luck for defending LGBTQ rights in the Austrian Parliament and beyond. I will need it. <laughs> and uh, thank you, thank you so much for inviting me, and um, and especially thanks to you for covering this issue. I think it's uh, it's very important to not only discuss it in headlines. And in one, two, three minute clips, like we do it on TikTok, it is important to discuss this, uh, this very difficult topic where it's not always black and white. There's a lot of gray shattering in between, right? Um, and um, that, that you take your time um, for discussing this for in, in a whole podcast episode. I think that's really important. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a pleasure joining you. In this episode, we address the role of Europe, we address the role of the US, and we address the role of the far right. But in order to gain a fuller picture, to grasp the issue fully, we also need to have a more international look. And we also need to take the role of religious groups into account. And this is what we would like to do in this final third block. So Fabio, could you please elaborate on that issue? 
How powerful are religious groups and what is the role of religion in global politics? Uh, yes, Aramis, I think that is a great uh, element to add into our analysis because although that secularism has rapidly increased in so many parts of the country, in so many societies, religion still plays quite an important role in, in, in politics for so many reasons, right? Uh, for one, one of them that comes just to my head is how religions often make strong claims about people's alliance, right? So they claim for these universal um, universal claims where everyone uh, should follow, right? Uh, one example is Islam and how traditionally it helps that everyone owes obedience to Allah's will. And then sometimes uh, these religious commitments, they clash with the, the demands of the society, political demands, freedom rights. So. We can clearly see here a pattern of why sometimes far-right politics and the people that follow uh, these ideologies, there's also this religious component there. Uh, it's not, it's the same with uh, LGBTQ plus uh, rights, right? Throughout history, we've seen how religion has uh, inspired a multitude of world events, and these range from everything from horrific Harry's attacks to alt altruistic responses to refugee crisis and humanitarian crisis, right? So that, that is something that we have to say as well but just to give you maybe a couple of examples, uh, I think really interesting is the case of evangelists in the US and Brazil. And evangelicals, it's just this broad uh, umbrella concept that encompasses different Protestant dominations uh, that share different core interests. Uh, it's no mystery that uh, just as the military helped Bolsonaro to rise to power, evangelicals also played an important role in there as well uh, for him to secure the presidency. And then he gave back some political concessions to these communities by giving someone uh, from this community a seat in the Supreme Court of, of Justice. And we have seen how uh, evangelical communities in Brazil have a lot of influence in Brazil's crucial institutions and ministries. So that is just the case there. Then we see a similar trend in the US. Uh, white evangelical voters were central to Trump's first election, and he still remains overwhelmingly popular among them. So throughout the years, we can see how many of the political agendas that these politicians put in, in, in legislation have to deal a lot with these culture wars and the concessions that can appeal to these communities, right? So it is true that in, in some case, conservative evangelical politics uh, expand this shift towards the right. And that clashes with a lot of the things that more liberal and more and more young audiences might like. We've seen all of the protests against abortion rights in the US. So those are some of the things that we've seen in the last years. Yeah, you addressed the role of evangelical movements and especially their role in national politics. It's evangelical movements in the US affecting Donald Trump and DeSantis and in Brazil affecting former President Bolsonaro. But also another aspect that I think is, is really interesting and where you have also prepared some information on that, Fabio, is that these movements don't just remain in the national boundaries, but they affect politics globally and especially in Africa. Yeah, Aramis, and that is something that I was really surprised when I saw. I mean, we've discussed that with Yannick, how maybe political developments in, in the U.S. affect the way uh, things and the rhetoric uh, happen here in Europe. I was just not so uh, sure about how sometimes lobbies and these political associations, they finance uh, agendas anti-gay, anti-non-binary agendas in other regions. And this is all the case in Africa. Uh, last month, the Ugandan parliament passed one of the toughest pieces of anti-gay legislation in the continent, where it 
pretty much uh, puts the possibility of life in prison to those people that identify themselves as gay. And there's the, the death penalty uh, element in certain cases. Uh, it's also the case in Ghana, where there's this extreme anti-LGBT legislation drafted, uh, also proposes of, of criminalization up to five years in prison for those that identify themselves as LGBT persons. Uh, there's the case as well in Zambia as well, where activists are being arrested for participating in peaceful protests against only gender-based violence. And something that I found these past uh, weeks uh, doing my research is about this community called the Radical Pentecostal Community. And this is a US-based uh, sponsor that pays uh, lobbyists around the world to push for these agendas. I think last year uh, they spent over 26 million uh, US dollars in East Africa alone to promote anti-homosexuality legislation. So you can see how this anti-gay rhetoric and agenda does affect the political discourse in other regions and it's not just the US and Europe and are we going to see this maybe even more if a Republican candidate with this kind of rhetoric gets in power in 2024 to be honest I think it will these type of discourses are not just there somehow no they're becoming the main settlers of the discussion so if, if, if someone like that with that rhetoric gets into the highest office in, in the most powerful influencing country on earth I think for sure we're going to see this trend uh, even more often all over the world. But that's just my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, scary to think about it, but um, maybe we shouldn't just look to the US to think of the future policy in Europe. But we may also should take a look at Africa to look at Europe's future policy, because what is happening in Africa is just the more extreme versions of the policy proposals of far right parties in Europe and the US. The same groups that may advocate for these policy changes in Africa, they may also be active in, in the US and in Europe as well. And um, if they have achieved one thing, then they may go more radical. So I think really varying developments yeah. and we see how the whole world is uh, interconnected in that regard. But the issue is also demographics. There's just not enough young people. The, our society is overaged and they dominate politics. And of course, this we see that the overaging Society, of course, at some point, mortality <laughs> comes and those people will not yeah. matter in politics anymore. But at the moment and for the next few decades, young people will not perhaps take the leading role just because they do not have such a large share in the electorate. But the conclusion should not be that we should just dismiss our actions and and say it's too hard, but um, to fight nevertheless and fight even harder for, for the rights and equalities, because we are not talking mm -hmm. about some just some minority issues here, but these are our basic principles of democracy, of human rights, the things we stand for internationally. And if we give in here, if we say, yeah, okay, we, we take a sideline here and um, focus on other issues, then we also kind of um, forget our true identity and what are we if we are not um, if we are not convinced about those very fundamental issues that have defined us in the since the end of World War II and that have allowed that our societies are the the wealthiest and the most free societies that perhaps ever lived on this planet. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anyone should dictate how people should. Uh follow their 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 lives in that sense. I mean, of course, there's general sidelines, but I think everyone should be able to decide who they want to love, who they want to be, what they want to do. Western Europe is one of the most, uh, it's one of the best regions on earth 
uh, to experience this. This and uh, I come from Latin America, where there's a lot of other social and 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 civil limitations and and all of the rights that I enjoy here. In, in when I used to live in Spain now here in Belgium, I appreciate it so much. And and when I see these attacks, this rhetoric up there, it, it worries me so much. Anyways, Armis, I think this was a really interesting episode. We talked about uh, this phenomenon that we're seeing all over the world, as we just discussed. This doesn't only reflect US and, and Western uh, politics. This is something that uh, Global South countries uh, such as Africa, as we've mentioned, such as Latin America, uh, it's there as well. So it's something we should be concerned about. And I agree with you. I think young people should be pushing for what they believe, what we believe, because at the end, the world is going is is gonna to be kept for us. So we should at least try to push for the things that we believe in. And I think th what was beautiful about this episode is that we saw the interconnectedness of the world. One event taking place in one region of the world, and it may create a domino effect that may that uh, affects us in Europe and so many other regions in the world. And um, yeah, we invited a member of parliament of Austria, but we saw that what happens in Austria is just um, a fraction of the, a bigger development that we see globally. And it's so fascinating to address this kind of stuff. So really thankful for this episode. And thank you, dear listeners, for uh, staying until the end. Uh, we wish you a good day and uh, make sure to subscribe to our channel. Mm -hmm.